Welcome to How to Study the Bible class through Immersion Discipleship School. This is session six called Applying the Bible. You'll remember for the last couple weeks we've been studying through the inductive Bible study method, which basically goes like this to observe, interpret, and apply the Bible. And in this session, we're actually summing up the whole class and the inductive Bible study method by talking about applying the Bible. You'll remember last week in interpretation, I talked about how vital it is to come to the true meaning of Scripture so that we can have the right application. And so we'll further discuss that during this lesson, as you'll be able to see. The Bible has a lot to say about the subject of application, where it's not only that we hear what the Bible says or read what the Bible is saying, but that we also do what it says. Many passages all over the Bible that reference how important this very topic is. One of those passages is Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission. You'll remember where Jesus is giving final instructions before ascending into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father, he says to his disciples in verse 18 of Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach people, teach other people to obey all that I commanded you. Now it's important that we stop right there and think through what he said. He said, teach people to obey what I told you. Don't, don't just teach them to know it, don't just teach them to understand it, but teach them to obey it, to live by it. And I think that's a lesson and certainly an exhortation or an admonition for us today, that understanding or hearing only is just not enough. We need to be people that are convinced and convicted to live out the scriptures and teach other people to do the very same thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, a very important verse that we've already discussed, Paul is telling Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for training and in righteousness, instruction, correction, and all of these things. He goes, so that the man or woman of God would be adequate and equipped for every good work. In other words, all Scripture is from God, and it's useful for training and teaching, and all, all the things that the church is good at doing, but it's so that we would be adequately equipped to do what it is that we've learned. And we, we can't forget this very vital and important lesson that just knowing Scripture, just knowing about it, knowing how to study it, it's not enough. We have to get to the point where we are convicted by the Scriptures unto lifestyle. This is what we're really after as we seek to study the Bible and understand it. As we focus on applying the Bible in this lesson, what I want to do is I want to call you to a deeper humility. I want, to, I want to probe you a little bit. I want to provoke you to a place of humility that when you read the Word, you're letting the Word read you. This is what we have to come to as we approach the Scriptures. And I want to do that by looking at James chapter 1, which is a very famous passage for the very topic that we're discussing today. James chapter 1, where James talks about the difference between hearing, knowing, and doing. And so he's going to talk to them about hearing the word, not hearing the word only, but also putting the word into practice. But I want to do that by calling us to a humility. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is a bit of the context for the book of James. The writer of the, of the book of James is obviously James. He's the, believed to be the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also an apostle in the early church, and he's writing to Jewish believers who are scattered beyond Palestine, even into the Roman world. Those who would receive his letter were a persecuted people. There were some Gentiles, but mostly Jews, who had lost quite a bit at this point. 
and he's calling these believers to a place of true spiritual maturity as he deals with issues like hypocrisy and worldliness and pride and favoritism, temptation, impatience, anger, slander, the misuse of riches, kind of on and on. James is one of those letters that just doesn't pull any punches, goes straight after the issues of the human soul. In fact, Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, said that he wished that the book of James wasn't even in the Bible. And you know that if somebody of that stature makes a comment like that, it's probably something that we really need because it, it, it brought a level of perplexity to his theology where he couldn't quite fit it into some of his thoughts on grace and whatnot. But James doesn't pull any punches when he talks about the issues of the human soul. And what James does is he uses the Bible uh, as a met he uses uh, a metaphor for the Bible in James chapter 1. He actually uses the metaphor of a mirror. He talks about the Bible as a mirror, and the mirror as, as is the Bible. And I want to do the same thing. You'll actually hear me throughout the rest of this lesson interchangeably use the term mirror, and what I'm referring to is the Bible or Scripture. And I want to read to you James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27, and here's what it says. He says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person that he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless." Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. God's mirror, God's word is, or excuse me, God's word is a mirror to our soul that can bring transformation to us if we allow it to. I want to say, say that again. God's mirror, his word is, is a mirror to our soul and it can bring transformation to us if in us if we allow it to. I want to give you three simple points from this passage that I believe will help us to apply the Bible as we seek to also understand it. And the first point that I want to make is that God's mirror, God's word, reveals. God's mirror reveals. Something that James brings up as a focal point is not just that we look at the Bible, but it's the way that we look at the Bible. The way that we come to Scripture is as important as coming to Scripture. Verse 21 says to put aside wickedness and humbly receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Now, he's not talking about eternal salvation, which is where we believe on Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and we receive forgiveness for our sin and eternal life with God forever. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, put away all of that stuff that you once were, all of that stuff that you once did as a non-Christian, 
and receive the word that's been implanted into you, in you, that's able to save or deliver your soul. It's able to deliver you from all of those things. He's not talking about eternal salvation. That's assumed. He's talking about the power of what God has given us by his spirit is able to deliver us from all of the things that we once practiced and once did as non-Christians. So he's saying, humbly come and approach God's mirror, God's word, in such a way where you'll be able to extract the power for what you need to live the victorious life that God alone can help you to accomplish. God's mirror doesn't lie. When we look into the word, instead of just thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, we can look into it and be humble about where we really are. And when we're humble, God gives grace to those who are honest. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And we can often be proud. We can think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We can think that we're farther than we are. We can think that we're doing better than we are. And when we do that, all we're doing, the Bible says, is we're deceiving ourselves. James is calling those that are reading this to a place where they can actually be honest and say, when I look into God's mirror, it doesn't lie. Everybody is on the same place. It judges every man the same. It puts us on this, in the same category. And our goal, our trajectory is also always the same for all of us, which is to be like Jesus. So whether I'm better than you or you're better than me in terms of right living doesn't actually matter. What really matters is how do I measure up to the one that I'm following, the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is calling them to humility. And we cannot afford a false perception of ourself. When we think about the issues of love and sacrifice and commitment and integrity and honesty and all of these things that the Bible calls us to, we can't just simply assume that we're living in the fullness of that or even doing that well at all. We need to come to the Word and let the Word read us. Let me ask you that question. Are you letting the Bible read you? When you come to Scripture, are you humbling yourself and saying to the Lord, Lord, would you evaluate my heart? Would you show me if there's any wicked way in me that is not pleasing to you, that does not look like Jesus? Or do we just read the Bible devotionally, understand it, try to interpret it, and then that's it? We need to come with a humble heart, which we've already talked about, but I want to further embed this into us because that's what applying the Bible is all about. First, in order to apply the Bible, you have to see in the Bible where you may need to grow and what you may need to ask God for as you're reading scripture. Are you seeing yourself rightly as you read the Bible, as you hear it uh, spoken? Are you humble and honest as you look into the mirror? I wanna give you an illustration, something that I thought about because I think that there's a couple different ways that we can look into the Bible when we're reading it, when we're studying it, even when we're interpreting it and understanding it rightly. And the first way that we can come to scripture and look at the Bible is we can actually look in the Bible as a mirror. This is a mirror, and uh, it's important to know that this isn't the only way, but, but James is saying that you need to look into the Bible as a real mirror. This is what he's calling them to, because a mirror tells the truth. It shows you maybe what you don't even want to see. There's a lot of courage to look into the mirror, especially as you get older. <laughs> you don't look into it with always a smile on your face, but when you look at it, you see what is really there. But that's not the only way that we can look into God's Word. Sometimes we can look into God's Word and we can look at it as though uh, we can think of ourselves 
uh, as this is like a picture to us. This is obviously my favorite picture. It's my mantelpiece. No, I'm just joking. But this is uh, a picture of me that was taken as a kind of a portfolio thing for headshots for, for my, bio, my biography or my bio f for media and whatnot. But I remember where I was. I remember who took the picture. They probably edited it. They might have taken 15 pictures to get the right shot. It was picture perfect. They wanted to get it perfect. They wanted to make it exact. And when I look at the Bible, sometimes I can look at the Bible like that. I can think of myself kind of picture perfect, like I'm doing really well. I don't have any indiscrepancies. Photoshop can edit out all of the blemishes. I don't, the, the mirror tells me the truth, but the Photoshop edited version of two years ago maybe tells me like that was when I was fasting, that was when I was praying, that was when I was giving. All of those things could have been true in that, even that spiritual season. And I can think of myself as I was, or I can think of myself in the, in the best possible picture of, of my, in my mind. And yet that not, might not be the truth at all. And we can do that at times as we look into the Bible. We can think the Bible is... Is, uh, is not applying, it doesn't apply to us because we're above that or we're further than that instead of looking at it truly as a mirror. And the third way that we can look at the Bible is we can look at it what I call like a window. And this looks like, a, could it be a picture frame or a mirror, but it actually, you can look through this and you tend to, when you look through the window, you see other people, you see other things. And what I mean by this is that when we read the Bible, we're not reading it for ourselves, not a mirror to us. It's a window where we see other people. So I'm always thinking of everybody else instead of myself. And when you do that, you're not going to apply the Bible to you. You're going to try to apply the Bible to others. You're not going to pray that God would bring that into your life. You're going to pray that God would bring that into other people's lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with that on one level, but if that's how we approach the Bible initially, we're not going to grow ourselves because we're constantly thinking that we're in a place where we already have something instead of needing it. And we're thinking always about how other people need this word or that word. And I just want to tell you, we're calling us back to first coming to the word as a mirror, letting it read us instead of just reading it. And it takes humility uh, to do that. But I want to give you a passage of scripture that I think will help us with this. And that's Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 through 5. And this is what Jesus said. He said, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log still is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And the, the, the message here is before we can help others address what's in their life, we need to address what's in our own life. And this gives us the kind of humility that we really need. Jesus, he points to facts, says it right to those that are following him. Many of them probably thought like we can at times is that they already are walking in what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is pointing out, no, you're not. There's a, there's a place of humility that we have to carry when we hear the word, when we read the words of Jesus. There has to be something inside of us that allows the Holy Spirit to reveal what we need in the words that we're reading so that we would want to apply the Bible. I remember there was a time where I was disciplining one of my sons. I have three sons. And he had done something that he obviously shouldn't have done. And so I'm, I go into his room 
and, uh, and I'm correcting him. I'm, and and f the thing that he did, it was one of those, my pet peeves. You have those, we all have them. And it was, I believe it was lying at that time. And that just, for some reason, that one thing, whenever somebody lies to me, it, it really digs in deep. And so my son had, had not fully told the truth. And as I'm correcting him, I'm, I'm getting a little intense. I'm not yelling at him, but I'm really going, I'm really kind of pressing in on him at this point. And I hear the Lord say to me, in the midst of me correcting my son, he says to me, do you, uh, is that your experience of me? God is a father, and I'm, I'm, I'm an earthly father, God's a heavenly father. The Lord says to me, is that your experience from, with me? Is this the way that I treat you? Is this the way that I father you? Is what I was hearing from the Lord in the middle of me correcting my son. And I stopped from, from going, pressing in on my son and trying to give him a lecture. And I realized that what I was doing was far beyond what I needed to do. This wasn't the kind of correction that my son needed. In fact, it lacked any kind of understanding. It lacked uh, any kind of relating, like I've never done this before. And I needed to be correcting but gentle with my son and instructive with him, which is what the, our Heavenly Father does with us. See, I need to, when I'm going to be one that's ministering to others, I need to make sure that I'm also connected to what that looks like because I'm letting the Father do the same thing in my life. The Bible reveals where we are. The Bible reveals what God wants to do in our lives so that we can apply it rightly. The second point that I want to bring up from James chapter 1 as we look at applying the Bible is God's mirror, God's word demands. James tells us that God's mirror demands a response. The first response we've discussed already is humility. But in order to be an effectual doer of the word, we must be an effectual hearer of the word. That's how interpretation and application really go together. However, as we hear rightly, we must respond well to what we see. And I believe there are two ways to respond to the word when you're reading it and when you're hearing it. The first is we respond in repentance as we look into or as we read God's word, what it reveals uh, in us that is not Christ-like. Whenever the Bible speaks to something about the human soul or the human condition, and we're reading that, we want to respond in repentance. Repentance means that we turn from what we're doing or we turn from what we're thinking. It means to change our mind and consequently change our actions and begin to walk in a new path. Now, God alone can help us to walk that way, but the first part is to confess our sin to God. Repentance involves confession of sin. And something I say is that you cannot have a true profession of faith without a real confession of sin. You have to confess where you are in order to profess where God is taking you. And so it's so vital that as we look at the Bible, it demands this response. And this response at first is repentance for, what is in, for the things that are inside of us that are not Christ-like whether that's humility or honesty or love or sacrifice or whatever it might be, whether it's personal or whether it's how we treat people, either way, we first repent before God. We say, God, I'm sorry, this is not who you created me to be. This doesn't look like your son. Would you change me and help me to be new, help me walk differently than this? There's that obvious humility with repentance. And the second response is faith. Faith and dependence for what the Bible calls us to. There's a repentance to turn away from what we're not called to, and there's faith and believing God for what we are called to. The Bible doesn't just tell us 
that we're bad, the Bible actually calls us to our destiny. And our destiny is Christ-likeness. We are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. So whatever we see in him is what God wants in us. And so this is our profession. First, we have a confession of where we are, and secondarily, we have a profession of where we are going, but they both work hand in hand. In order for us to really be faith-filled and make these professions of faith of who we really are called to be and where we are really called to go, we have to have these very honest confessions before God where the gap is so that God, by His Holy Spirit, will fill that. And the word is the very element that God uses to expose that chasm, that gap between where we are and where we're going. It is the word that illuminates not only the chasm, but the path towards where God is calling us. God's word demands the response of repentance. It demands the the response of faith and dependence. And many of us, we can respond poorly. Either we avoid repentance altogether and we basically just stay where we are, or we can have these cycles of guilt where we feel bad about where we are and we don't really move on because instead of repenting, we just feel guilty and we constantly live in a guilt cycle. And God wants to break the guilt cycles in our life and demand a different response from us. He's not demanding it as an angry God or an angry father. He's demanding it because it's what's best for us. God's word demands a response from us because it's for us. That's the whole key to unlocking some of this reality. Hearing not only demands a response, but it demands a biblical response. And I would say to you today that there is a right way of doing things. There is a right way of doing things. It's always the biblical way. Repentance and faith and dependence. When we read or hear the word, does it draw out these responses? And you need to evaluate your heart. What do you feel? What do you do when you read scripture and it definitely calls you to a response? What do you do? How do you evaluate? How do you really begin to walk out what scripture is calling you to? And how do you need to change from here on out in order to have a biblical response? Just having a response of, I'm a bad person, that's, that's not the biblical response. But knowing how to navigate that is, is very important. I was driving with a friend of mine, not, well, this was some time ago now, and in the middle of our, our, our car ride, I just, out of the blue, just said to him, hey, do you tithe? I mean, I never really do that. I, if you get in a car with me, I probably won't ask you that question 90% of the time. But we're in this, we're in this car ride, and I just for some reason had this thought, asked my friend, somebody I know very well, hey, do you tithe? And he basically just said, no, I, no, I don't. And, and I proceeded to ask him why. I pressed in on him a little bit. Why don't, why don't you give? The Bible calls us to that. It's very, very clear. And he, his answer to that was essentially like, I, I, I do want to. I think it's good and right. I just have never really gotten around to it. And I probably pressed in on him quite a bit, as you can, as you can tell. But what I was coming to with him is, and I told him this, that since I was 19 years old, I've always given to the church for the work of ministry. I believe that's what the Bible calls us to. And even if you don't believe in tithing as a biblical principle, you certainly believe in giving. And we believe in New Testament covenant community and authority. And if the leaders of your covenant community, your church, have decided that this is the amount that we all give together as a community, it's only right to submit to the leadership that have essentially put that Uh, forward as as something that the church does. You're in a covenant community and to somehow not be under that means that you're kind of going rogue. And I I believe that's not of the Lord. That's not a submission 
to the community that you're a part of. Even if you just believe in covenant community, but you don't necessarily believe tithing is a New Testament principle, either way, it's for us today, depending on what your church community does. And that's what we do at our church and always have. And so I was teaching him that principle and saying, hey, this isn't a negotiable thing. This is something that God has for you. And from that day forward, he really, I'm sure he tithed every, every paycheck ever since. My, my goal wasn't to get his money. My goal was I wanted him to be blessed because you can't just read the word and not respond. I mean, that to me is more important even than the issue itself is that you can't just read the Bible and let it somehow pass through your mind and heart without it stopping and causing change. It's, it demands a response. And, and the more, as according to James, the more that we listen and hear and don't respond, the more we deceive ourselves. It actually says it, we delude ourselves. We delude and deceive ourselves. And what does that mean? That means that we deceive ourselves and we don't actually need a, the devil. We don't need a friend. We don't need a cult leader to deceive us because we, through our pride and our, and our lack of humility, we actually deceive ourselves. And don't you think that, de that self-deception is the highest deception? Because there needs no external source for your deception. It's all internal. You've deceived yourself thinking that you either don't need to do what the Bible says or, or for some reason we're already doing it and we're not. And the enemy doesn't really even have to mess with us at that point because the Bible says we've deluded ourselves or we've deceived ourselves. And James says, don't do that. Don't hear the word only, but do what it says. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 7. He says, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are, are wise. They're wise builders. And those who don't put them into practice, they're foolish because the storms are coming. And it really shows what we are and how we've been responding to God's word. So God's word reveals, the mirror reveals, God's mirror demands. But in the third and final point is God's mirror transforms us. God's mirror transforms. In verse 25, James says, whoever looks into the mirror and abides by it will be blessed in all that he does. Whoever abides by it, remains in it, continues, perseveres, endures in living out what the Bible calls us to they will be transformed. The more we humbly look into the mirror of God, the word of God, we will see Jesus and who we are to become. The more we look into the mirror, the word of God, we will see Jesus and who we are to become. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says. Paul said, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The mirror not only reveals where we are, but it also shows us where we're going, which is to be like Christ. And that's what we're after. We see Christ in the scriptures, and that's what we're called to look like, act like, smell like, live like. We're called to be like Jesus in a very unique way. As the Word reveals what He was like and how He lived life, it draws us towards God and really the need that we have of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, to become that for the world around us. This is what God has called us to. It's the life, the life of Christ through us that brings transformation to the world around us. The reason that we don't look more and more like Jesus and bring the life of Christ is because I believe in one way we've stopped looking at the mirror. What if one of the major reasons that we don't look more like Christ, that we don't live more like Christ, is because we've stopped looking at Christ through the scriptures. 
The scriptures give us the real picture of Jesus. Today, everyone has their own picture of Jesus. I hear this all the time. Jesus would do this or Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, the scriptures actually tell us what Jesus did. There's no speculation needed. It's just right there in the Bible. And the more we read what Jesus did, the more we, res- we read how he responded and how he lived and what he said and what he did in the midst of situations and circumstances, the more speculation doesn't play a role at all, but rather it's observation. And we can interpret what Jesus meant, and then we can apply it for our own lives. What if one of the major reasons that we don't live like and look more like Jesus because we just stopped looking at him in the scripture and we come up with our own version of who he is and what he is and therefore live our life the way that we feel like Jesus would live? I believe we got to come back to scripture because as we look into God's mirror, If we abide by it, if we remain by what is there, not what I feel, but what is there in Scripture, if we abide by that, remain in that, the Bible says that we will be blessed in all that we do. That's what we're after. We want to be blessed and looking like Jesus Christ. As I conclude our our session today on applying the Bible, I just want to call you to humility. That's really part of my agenda in this entire session is that without this real humility and really in looking at the word for what the word is and letting it read our hearts, there's no way we'll apply it because we won't think it's for us. We'll think that we're doing good or we'll think that it's for somebody else. I'm not trying to call you to be a wretch. I'm calling you to a place of humility where there's this need that develops in your heart. God, I need you to live this out. Lord, I need more of your spirit leading my life in order to be what this word says. I'm not going to feel guilty by reading the word that I'm not where I need to be. I'm going to feel expectant that you, because your word says it, have given me the power to live it. This is what I need. God, would you give me what I need? As we look into the mirror of God, we can no longer justify our authority issues, blaming others for our lack of community or allowing our wounds to stand in the way of the promises and the purposes of God. We can't let the issues of life the difficulties of life, the wounds of our past and the sins, uh, sin cycles that we've participated in stop us from what God has for us. We need to set ourselves to looking into scripture, observing it well, interpreting it, understanding its meaning, and then really being serious about applying it in our lives. It takes great humility to do that. Let me give you this final verse as we close our time. This is something that I think really applies as we read it. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, this is what Isaiah the prophet says on behalf of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where is the place that I might rest? For my hand has made all of these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. I want to ask you the question, do you tremble at the word of God? When you read it, do you tremble? Do you desire to become it? Do you want all that it says? Is it in your mind and heart that this is from God, that it's not just a text, but it's word, these are words of life that are for you, that are meant to be lived out through you? Do we tremble? The Bible says God's gaze is not upon those that seek to impress him, that build something great for him. God's gaze is on the heart that is humble and on the person that trembles at his word. This is obviously something that we must want and God clearly shows us 
what he sees when he looks at us. This is what we desire. The questions that I'll ask you as you want to further look into what it looks like and means to apply the Bible, the first question is, what passages of Scripture compel you toward action? What passages are your life verses? What are the Scriptures that really probe your heart, provoke your heart to want to take next steps and move you toward compassion and action? Question number two, what passages of Scripture convict you toward repentance? When you read the, the Bible, what right now even is convicting you toward repentance? Where have, you, where have you fallen short in repenting when you've read the Bible? Have you, have you applied it in that way first before acting it out in some way in your world? Number three, what passages of Scripture are being highlighted to you by the Holy Spirit in this season? And how are you going to respond? These are three great questions that we need to ask as we seek to apply the Bible. I just want to simply pray for us. I want to pray over you as we close this session, that God would open up even this new place for us of humility and applying His Word, especially as we seek to help a lost and dying world. Let me pray. Father, I thank You for everyone that's participating in this class right now. We thank You for Your Word, Lord. We love Your Word. And we just admit, Lord, in all honesty, that we don't live in the fullness of what Your Word calls us to. But we ask You today for a new humility that would rise up on the inside of us, that every time we read your word, that it would be like a mirror to us. It would be fresh, it would show us the truth, and we wouldn't distort that, we wouldn't hide from that, but we would receive it well. It is able to deliver our souls. I pray for a new fruitfulness in our hearts and in our lives, that your word would bear much fruit, and we would see that, desire that, pray for that. I pray for every one of my friends watching this. Lord, I ask for you to bless them, Keep them in the strength and the power of your word. Give them a desire and a hunger to know your word and to apply it, to live it out with all of our heart. We thank you again for giving us your word. We love you and we look forward to all of the things that you're going to do as we seek to live out your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. This has been a great class and I look forward to seeing you on the other end at more of the classes at Immersion Discipleship School. God bless you.